Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. Your hosts, Russell and Dr. Pete. We're solution architects based out of Australia, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello everyone, welcome back to AWS Tech Chat. In this episode, we've got a bit more of a developer and IoT focus. During the week, Dr. Pete caught up with Adam Larter, who is one of our solutions architects focused on helping customers develop on the AWS platform. And they had a very broad discussion ranging all the way from polyglots through to ephemeral pub sub buses. So if that sounds intriguing, stay tuned. So Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Pete. Thanks for having me today. So Adam, you are a developer specialist solution architect, and we have lots of different architects. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell our listeners, what do you actually do as a specialist solution architect? Well, my job is to engage with customers' development teams. So I am a solutions architect, so I do cover architecture, uh, infrastructure architecture, but mainly I focus talking to the development teams and help them deep dive on that developer journey when they're creating brand new applications or moving existing applications that they've developed onto the AWS platform. And what kind of discussions do you normally have with developers that come and speak to you or seek out your uh, particular perspective on their approach to building applications? Well, yeah, look, it's very varied. I, mean, I talk to a lot, a lot of customers about modernization of applications. Um, that's a really big topic. So uh, development teams really want to be able to take advantage of the scalability and reliability, performance and security of the AWS cloud. So my job is to help them flesh out the details. So how do they get started? Or uh, maybe they're already using our SDKs and engaging with the platform, but uh, they have some deep dive questions from a developer perspective. So sure. that's, that's where really where I have those conversations. Okay, so just you know, a quick snappy summary. So Adam, how do you see developers using the AWS platform at the moment? There are very varied uh, usages of the AWS platform Give us some for, examples. for developers. So, so I have a lot of um, customers at the moment wanting to know how they can use the tools that we have, like DynamoDB as a NoSQL store, and, and how to make efficient use of that. Or uh, they want to create... Um, Um, a a serverless event bus on AWS, or they want to move to a CQRS pattern and they want to uh, move to a microservices um, serverless um, architecture. So a lot of deep dive questions about um, how to do that migration. Um, But the most um, interesting conversations is where they've got a brand new problem that they're not uh, currently solving and they want to uh, try something completely new. That's where we can get really get into the detail of uh, starting from scratch and building the application up from, from the ground. Sure. So quite often you have two camps, which is the open source community and the closed source community using you know Java, .NET, those kind of technologies. You know, yeah. is, is there much of a different developer experience if I'm in one camp or the other? Well, look, a little bit because I guess the use cases are very different. So if you're talking about the, the startup community, they're, they're very agile. They're very much about getting the job done and they're using um, tools and uh, languages like Python and uh, Ruby and PHP and Node and things like that. And our SDKs cover all of those. Um, but then we have the, the more enterprise teams where they're um, more uh, conscious of security and uh, compliance. And so the use cases are very different. But at the end of the day, the APIs that we present out uh, from the AWS platform are wrapped in the SDKs on all of those languages, including um, .NET and uh, Java as well for the enterprise guys. 
Um, so the programming interface is fairly much the same on all of those languages. So once you've understood how to make the AWS platform do something with one language, it's fairly simple to move between languages, which is fantastic if you want to move to a polyglot environment uh, if you're embracing microservices. So, and for those that don't know, polyglot? Oh, that means that you're not locked into one single language in, across your entire stack. So normally in a monolithic environment, you have one language for the entire application. But if you break your application up into microservices, you can actually choose the right language for the right task, uh, and also based on the skills of the developers that you have in the team at that time. Um, so your, your risk level is um, really just comes down to the functional level if you're using something like serverless Lambda. Uh, so if you need to rewrite a component, it's really just one function. So it doesn't matter what language it's written in, there's not a huge risk if you get it wrong or if that person leaves and you need to replace the code. Okay. So, so if I'm a developer and I've got a couple of options, I can do a lift and shift of my application into AWS, mm -hmm. or I can potentially, you mentioned the word modernize my applications earlier. You know, what are some of the patterns that you're seeing for app developers you know, modernizing applications, and in particular on AWS? Peeling the onion is a really big topic that I have a lot of conversations with developers about at the moment. Uh, I think it's really important to get started by finding a workload that you and the team are really familiar with. So make sure that there's somebody on the team that knows that application from top to bottom. Look at all the tiers in the application. Look at the performance characteristics of those tiers and, and make sure you've got a baseline. So uh, when you do your um, quality assessment after you've uh, migrated the application, you've, you've got some um, performance characteristics to test against. Um, so maybe a good way to focus um, on the, the move is to look at the parts of the application that may have tech debt already that actually need some help in um, being able to scale or um, performance characteristics. Uh, you may want to remove some single points of failure in the application. But one of the uh, important things is to make sure that your application is loosely coupled. So you want to take advantage of some of the services we have, such as SQS, the simple queuing service, in order to allow your application to scale horizontally and be loosely coupled, and also to get some resilience into your application, uh, some high availability using the, um, the elastic load balancer um, and various other components that we have in AWS. Or oh, the so, application load balancer now, which we have today. Absolutely. Good segue, uh, Peter. <laughs> um, so I think the approach depends on the actual application that you're trying to migrate. Um, but really important is just to get started. Actually start breaking your application down into pieces and having a look at where some of the native cloud services can slot in and uh, allow you to do one of my favorite things, which is to throw out your own code. Oh, really? Absolutely. Okay. The more code You're a big you fan can, of that. I am a big fan of that. Uh, you know, the more code you can throw out, the better. Okay, so let somebody else do all the heavy lifting for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Love yeah. it. So, Adam, tell me a little bit more about the hot topics that are currently, you know, going through the industry. Because you, know, you get to see a lot of that today. Uh, yes. So what's hot and what's not? Right now, serverless is huge. So uh -huh. we have just recently had Lambda and uh, API Gateway land in the Sydney region, which is fantastic. And we have a lot of customers uh, that uh, were already using Lambda in other regions, but uh, are now able to run workloads in the Sydney re region. So actually taking your monolithic application and breaking it up into service-oriented architecture is something that we did in the 90s and noughties. Now we've moved forward to getting rid of that underlying infrastructure and just running serverless. And what that means for developers is um, not having to worry about the underlying infrastructure, just deploying your application as microservices, which are just uh, decomposed down to functions. Uh, so a lot of conversations I have with customers is how to make use of API Gateway and Lambda in order to break your application down into um, a serverless architecture. Um, but the other really exciting thing that's uh, running alongside of that is the IoT, the Internet of Things. Um, the AWS platform supports IoT, 
uh, in a big way. Um, there's some fantastic integration with the other cloud services through the IoT message broker. And uh, there are many um, customers that I'm speaking to almost on a daily basis at the moment about how they can get started taking their big idea about connecting the unconnected um, using the AWS cloud. So those are probably the two big uh, areas where developers are really key in making those applications because it's not just an infrastructure discussion, it's actually a, a deep dive uh, developer conversation. So Adam, you mentioned IoT quite a lot and IoT gets a lot of you know uh, airplay at the moment. You know, what's unique about the AWS IoT service in particular? One of the things about the AWS IoT service which is really important for developers is that fundamentally it is an ephemeral pub-sub bus. So yes, it allows devices in the field to talk to a message gateway over MQTT, but it also allows you to create WebSockets connections to thousands and millions of subscribers in their web browser. And you can use that as an ephemeral bus to actually uh, create chat applications, um, etc. cetera, um, that you would normally, previously to the AWS IoT service, you would have to actually run that infrastructure yourself. But there are two really key differentiators in the AWS IoT service for IoT. Uh, the first one is the device shadow. That allows you to keep a persistent copy of the last known state of the devices in the field. And we're talking billions of devices here that this service can scale to. So the last known state of each of those devices is automatically kept in the cloud. And you can use our APIs through the SDKs to query that last known state and create applications that can basically communicate with the shadow of the device, even if the device is offline. So really, how, does that, really how, does, how does that actually then sync up back to the actual device? So when the device comes back online, it communicates via MQTT. Uh, which secured which over, stands for what? Which way? stands for the MQ telemetry transport. Um, the, um, the, the, the device will actually resync with the AWS IoT service and receive an updated view of what the shadow was uh, when it was last online. Now, what that allows you to do is to have applications which can set a desired state for the device. When that device comes back online, it can receive a notification about, hey, someone has asked you to change your state, and then the software and the device can change its state and report back its current state. And that's fully configurable? I can define my own state definitions for whatever yeah. the device happens to be, like a thermostat or a light switch? Absolutely. The schema inside that, um, that shadow payload is completely up to you. It can be as complex or as simple as you like. Okay. Um, the second really important part of the IoT service is the rules engine. Now, the, I mentioned earlier that the, um, the IoT service can natively integrate with many of the cloud native services. The rules engine is the glue that allows that to happen. So when messages, whether they come in via MQTT from a device or whether they come in from a web browser over WebSockets, when that message arrives into the AWS IoT gateway, the rules are uh, able to run on those, um, those payloads and you can do deep inspection on the JSON payload and make decisions about whether or not a threshold has been reached or uh, any other um, condition that you might want to define. So what and, would some of these be? So for example, if the temperature um, of a device uh, reported in the field is over 30 degrees, you may want to uh, cause a lambda function to fire to, um, to do, it's up to you. What do you, what do you want it to do? Notify <laughs> me to say, hey, you know. Absolutely. Okay, got it. Uh, you, you can also have the rules engine um, create an event source of all of the activities of the devices in the field by automatically writing that data as it comes in through the gateway into DynamoDB. Uh, we will also allow you to integrate with um, Kinesis Firehose, 
the um, Managed Elastic Search Service, um, DynamoDB, as I mentioned, uh, AWS Lambda, uh, SNS, uh, the list goes on and on. So really tight integration. So you can actually create an entire end-to-end um, IoT solution without running any servers and writing minimal code to glue all these things together, which is really, really powerful. Awesome. Now, what about security? Because obviously, you know, we've had a lot of devices built over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, uh, and security often has been an afterthought. Yeah. With the IoT, obviously, that's pretty critical because you don't want people pretending to be a sensor or a certain device. And, you know, we've heard lots about, you know, cars getting hacked while on the road. Yes, it's an IoT yes, device. Yes. You know, what, what are we doing around security? Because obviously, that's everyone's job and it's job zero. Yeah, it's job zero, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the AWS IoT solution is built with security in mind as job zero. Uh, so when devices connect into the platform, they use uh, X509 certificates. So uh, the devices have to be pre-configured with the certificates. Um, when they connect in, that communication channel is secured. Uh, if a web browser wants to connect in, we use SIGV4, which is the standard way of signing requests in the in the web browser uh, to the AWS um, APIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use SIGV4 to also lock down access to uh, which web browser can connect in and eavesdrop on which particular topic. Um, but we have really fine-grained control over which topics can be published and subscribed to um, based on the, the certificate mapping to what we call IoT policies, which mm-hmm. are very similar to AM, uh, IAM policies, okay. um, but they run alongside and are specific to the IoT service. So very fine-grained control, um, uh, which is really powerful. Fantastic. So, Adam, um, you know, we've taken a lot of your time already, but just in closing, you know, what are some of the best ways that developers could get started on you know, um, using AWS and developing for the cloud? The best way to get started is to try a project. Mm-hmm. So we, we were talking before about um, tech debt and actually taking a legacy uh, or an existing application and moving it to the cloud. I challenge you all to try that. All you developers out there, you all know there is a part of your application that no one wants to talk about. Maybe the guy that wrote it no longer works there. Uh, You're all a bit scared to actually touch it. I challenge you to find that application, do a deep dive on it, understand how it works, and then move it to the AWS cloud. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things you're going to need is you're going to need some tooling. So you're going to, if it's a a .NET application, you're probably going to want to be using Visual Studio and there are uh, plug-in tools for Visual Studio to allow you to do things like even deploy directly from Visual Studio uh, into the AWS cloud onto Elastic Beanstalk or even onto um, AWS Lambda. Or build cloud um, formation in there as well, right? Build cloud yeah. formation, yeah, many, many um, integrations there with the AWS. Um, services. Uh, there are also plugins for the uh, Eclipse IDE if you're in the Java world as well. Um, so get started by finding that workload, install the tools, uh, and also start reading the developer blogs and uh, go to the AWS uh, Labs GitHub account. There's many samples in there, lots of samples, lots of documentation, lots of deep dive information there on the blogs as well. You also have the fantastic developer guides, which have a lot of information and detail about how the services work and how to interact with them when you're building applications. We have reference architectures on the AWS site. Um, also, really importantly, to reach out to your local solution architect and get their advice on the architecture you're building. Um, it's really important to make sure that you're, you're not going down a blind alley. Crowdsource, join your local AWS user group, uh, mix with local people who are um, actually doing the same thing that you're doing on the AWS cloud. Search the AWS forums for information. And of course, our friends at Stack Overflow, there's a huge amount of information there. Um, and the bottom line, I think, is that the SDKs are there to abstract you from the complexity. So get the SDK for the language that you want to develop in and get your teeth into it. Absolutely. Adam, thank you so much. You've covered such a large breadth of uh, 
AWS, you know, developer ecosystem. Um, so thanks for your input. Thank you. Really for having great me. having you on the show, and Fantastic. hopefully we'll have you back uh, in the near future. And there's one more plug I have to give you, and that's around the architect and developer conference that's coming up shortly. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned it, Peter, because I was just about to jump in. So on the 20th of September in Brisbane and the 22nd of September in Melbourne. We're holding a one-day event in each of those cities called the Architect and Developer Conference. Uh, so imagine a very deep dive in, uh, in two tracks, architecture and development, and we're going to be covering things from a developer perspective uh, regarding patterns like CQRS and event sourcing on AWS, um, mobile development, IoT, uh, many other uh, deep dive um, developer-related topics. Awesome. And on the architecture side, we're going to be talking about VPC design and workspaces and security and governance and all that great stuff in the, um, in the, the infrastructure architects are desperate to know. All 300 plus level um, content. So please do go to the website to register and uh, we'd love to see you there. Awesome. You don't want to miss it. Uh, bring a plus one if you're the uh, AppDev guy. Bring your infrastructure partner equivalent to, to the event. Should yeah. be an awesome day. That, actually, that's a, a great point, uh, Peter. The, the content has been designed so that there's little crossover between the two streams. So if you bring a plus one, then at the end of the day, and you go on each of you go on a different track, then at the end of the day, you can uh, get together and brainstorm the different things that you've learned. So it's a great way of uh, being highly available and scaling out your learning. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Adam, thanks again for joining us. No problem. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Peter. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that more developer-focused episode. If you'd like to hear more development content or any other particular topics that you'd like us to delve into, please do drop us a line at aws-anz-marketing at amazon.com. We really value your feedback on that. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch up with you in the next episode. Signing off, this is Russ. And this is Dr. Pete. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn more about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to the AWS Tech Chat through iTunes, SoundCloud, or by Googling AWS Tech Chat.